0: Lots of times when you're getting to know somebody new, they'll ask, uh, where are you from? And lots of times I'll, I'll answer that I'm from uh, rural South Mississippi. You have to say it like that, rural, uh, rural South Mississippi. And sometimes they ask, you know, what town is that? And so I, because they think they know. If I just tell them the town, they think they'll know. I tell them Arm, Oakvale, Prentice, Monticelli, like I don't I don't know where that is. So uh, rural South Mississippi, I typically tell people that, uh, but then People don't always ask, where are you from? Sometimes they say something like, where is home for you? That's a really different question, isn't it? You know, so I, I probably answer that, uh, village of Tickfall. Uh, that's that's, where, that's the place and the people that are most precious to me. That's where home is for me. That's where, that's where I, I call my home. It makes a difference. You know, it's not just where you're from, but, but where your home is. Now, if you asked Abraham, where, is your, where are you from? He could say from Aram, uh, he could say from Ur of the Chaldees, uh, but if you asked him where is home for you, if you asked Isaac where is home for you, where is Jacob, where, where is home for you, they'd say the land of promise. Where's the, where's the home for somebody like Jacob who has spent the last 17 good years of his life in Egypt? Where is home for Joseph who spent almost his entire life ruling over Egypt? experiencing a lot of blessings in Egypt. Where, where is home for them? Well, what we'll see is that, that home is where God's promises are. And what I hope you'll have, what you'll uh, have today is faith, faith to put your hope where God's promises are. So uh, today we're going to be in at the end, at the very tail end of Genesis 49 and then in Genesis 50. And the question that we'll answer first is where is Jacob's faith? Where is Jacob's faith? Look at Genesis 49. Genesis 49. We'll start in verse 29 and we'll read into chapter 50. So Genesis 49 into chapter 50. This is what it says. It says, then he commanded them. This is Jacob speaking. says, then Jacob commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from uh, Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, <coughs> "If now." I have found favor in your eyes. Please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please get, get up, go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with them both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshold, uh, the, the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. You see in verse 29 that, uh, that, that God, uh, Jacob, Jacob uh, also known as Israel, Jacob had already spoken to Joseph and said, hey, this is where I want to be buried now. He's going to speak to all of his sons and look at where Joseph's, uh, I'm sorry, where Jacob's faith is. He starts to talk about this very important place that way back in Genesis 23, Abraham had bought. Abraham had negotiated, Abraham had bartered with the, with the inhabitants of, of Canaan, uh, with the Hittites, and he had worked, worked back and forth with them, and he had bought this one little place. This is the one piece of land in the land of promise, the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one little piece of land that they all possess, that was theirs, that they owned. Out of all the promises of, of God saying to Abraham, look to the north and the east and the west and the south and, and look at all these places. Look and, look and see what, what I am going to give you. I promise that your, your offspring will be like the, the sands of the, of the seashore. I promise that they'll be like the stars of the heaven. God, God had given them one little piece of land, but this is the piece of land that Jacob wanted to be buried in. And look at even how he talks about this little, this little cave in the field of Ephron. Okay. This little field, he says, this is the place where Abraham and Sarah are buried. This is the place where Isaac and Rebekah are buried. This is the place where I buried Leah. I want you to carry me back there. Bury me there. That's where his hope is. That's where his faith is. God had made promises that this is going to be your land. This is the land that has been promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Jacob... Wants to go back there. He's lived for 17 years. 17 of the best years of his life have been in Egypt. He saw Joseph again. He saw Joseph's offspring again. He lived. This is this period of time where so much of Jacob's life is so troubled, and yet these 17 years are years of peace at the end of his life. But Egypt is not Jacob's home. Egypt is not where his hope is. That's not where his faith is. He wants to go back to the land that God had promised. Where is your faith? When, if, if we die, if any of us dies before the return of Jesus Christ, where will our hope be? Where will our faith be when we die? It should be where Jacob's was. It should be where God's promises are. Now, we've seen many of the things that, that were promised to, to Jacob. We've seen those things happen. We we actually have a much greater perspective of time and history and of God's work in the world at this time than, than Jacob even had. He, he only saw a lot of these things from afar, but we've seen the offspring of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. We've seen the children of Abraham expanded to include all nations. All those who have the faith of Abraham are counted as his children. We've even seen Jesus Christ come and die for our sinners. We've seen the king come, the king from Abraham. And we've, we've, we know that, that God has not only promised a small portion of land in the Middle East, but has even expanded it to include the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, a new Jerusalem that is descending out of heaven that is going to encompass all things. God is, God is, this is the renewal of everything. We we know about the expansion. We know about about all these great promises that God has made. Where's our hope? Where's our faith? Let Let our faith be where God's promises are. Is this our home? Is this where we are putting our hope? Jesus taught us, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't steal. Here, all these things are going to be destroyed. All the things that we put our hope in here, these are, these are all going to be destroyed. These things are not going to last. And yet what God has promised, that will last into eternity. Let us be like Jacob and put our hope where God's promises are. Well, you see there after he passes away, he, he dies peaceful death in his bed at home and then joseph fell on his on his face and he wept and and there there jacob is given this funeral fit for a king that's the idea so maybe the maybe the most uh, if you think of like a modern analogy you think of if you can remember uh, back to princess diana's funeral maybe that's the most modern uh, royal funeral that any of us uh, would would remember uh Richard Nixon died; has died since then, but there was no royal funeral for him. But there was a royal funeral in Britain. They know, still know how to do royal funerals. Uh, I started; a, I, I pulled up a YouTube of Princess Diana's funeral, in the last five and a half hours. So I didn't watch the whole thing. But you have like the the military carriage coming out. and You have this. That that's this is the Egyptian equivalent of that. They embalm Jacob for forty days. They they mourn over him for seventy days. That's the same as the amount of time that they would typically mourn if a pharaoh died. You see the kind of respect, you see the kind of blessing that the, the nations are making toward, toward Jacob at this point. Toward, uh, they are recognizing him. And then they start to, you see Joseph there, he goes in. He probably can't go in and see Pharaoh for himself because he is tainted by having touched the dead and being in a state of mourning. He can't go before Pharaoh that way. But he sends a message, my father made me promise, so can I go back and, and bury my father? Uh, so Joseph basically said, comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Okay, So not exactly like that, but there's the echo of that. This is like a little exodus. He's going, he's going to Pharaoh, and this Pharaoh says, his, this Pharaoh's heart is not hardened. This Pharaoh says, yes, go up. And what do you see? You see this entire, you see all of Joseph's family, and you see all of Jacob's household, and not only them, but you see all the elders of Israel. So, I mean, sorry, all the elders of, of Egypt. These are all these dignitaries. All these courtiers, these, these people who are a part of Pharaoh's palace, part of his bureaucracy, part of his government, they are all going up with him. They are all mourning for Jacob. This has been a very significant life. This has been the man through whom a company of peoples have come. There are now going to be 12 tribes that come from him. This is going to be the nation through whom blessing is going to come to all nations. So they're mourning the death of, of Jacob. And not only that, but there's, there's the military coming out. There are chariots and horsemen who are following the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay. So not, not chasing them down, not trying to kill them, but instead honoring Jacob. And they're going up. They're going up with them. Now you see there that when all of Jacob's household goes up, the, the only people who stay behind are the children and the livestock. So this is not a migration the next exodus, this is a little exodus, the next big exodus, everybody's going to come out because there's going to be this huge migration. This is going to be the nation uh, of of God's people coming out. But uh, what God had said to Abraham back in Genesis 15 was the iniquity of the Amorites is, is not complete. That means it's not time yet for you to take possession of this land. But these are these little pictures here. You think about sometimes you have to think about when you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books, that that we read we should read them similar to the way that we read New Testament letters. They were written to people at a certain time in a certain place. Well, the first five books of the Bible were written, were are like letters or sermons to that first that first generation of Israelites that left left Egypt. And so when they're hearing this, they're seeing all these things happen. They're seeing the Egyptians come out. They're like, "Yes, yes, we're, we're we're coming out." The same way that God was faithful to Jacob, He's going to be faithful to us. They came out. We're going to come out. And then they come into the land the same way that that they had mourned Jacob, like Egyptians do. They had uh, walked like an Egyptian. Uh, they had they had uh, mourned his death. Now Joseph mourns over. Uh, Jacob like an Israelite, like a Hebrew in the land. So they come to this, this threshing floor, and there, they, there they, they mourn for him. And they call it Abel Mizraim. Mizraim is the word for Egypt uh, in the original languages. And who's standing around? The Canaanites. And the Canaanites are in awe at this great, this great mourning over Jacob. It's almost like the, the Canaanites are in awe at the mourning of the Egyptians here at this little exodus, the same way that the Canaanites will be at awe at the mourning of the Egyptians later on at the big exodus. They'll hear, you remember, if you think about the words of Rahab, she said, We heard about what your God did down in Egypt, and now we're all afraid. See these kind of echoes here, these kinds of, these kinds of uh, uh, premonitions, these kind of prefigurations of, of what is going to happen. Well, they go up, and there they mourn, and they bury Jacob at, at the cave at Machpelah. And they do what uh, he had commanded them to do. He's buried there, and then they return until it's time for the big exodus. You know, if you got Jesus, say, on a mountaintop, and he was talking with Moses and Elijah, who are also associated with mountaintops, and they were sitting around talking, what, what would you talk about? What would Jesus and Moses and Elijah be talking about? Well, Luke 9:30 says that they talked about Jesus' departure, literally his exodus. You know, this is a little exodus, and then later on, there's going to be a big exodus, but Jesus' exodus makes the big exodus look like a little exodus. because what Jesus did was in coming and dying on the cross, he delivered us from sin. And he delivered us into eternal life. He delivered us into the kingdom of God. When you see these little patterns, We, we, we trust that the same way that God was able to be faithful, To Jacob and make sure that he returned to the land of promise the same way that he was faithful to the nation of Israel to bring them back to the land to bring them to the land of promise God is able to keep his promises to us we know that he is able because Jesus Christ rose from the dead Jesus Christ has accomplished the exodus he has accomplished this this exodus that was prophesied by the prophets this this new exodus that Isaiah talks about you know those words that are like make straight the way In the wilderness, that's talking about an exodus. Jesus Christ accomplished that exodus by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And so we put our hope in him. We look at these things the way, from the perspective of the the way Jacob experienced it and the way that the Israelites heard it. Let us be encouraged in our faith. Let us receive the same kind of assurance because Jesus Christ He he is the Passover lamb who died for our sins to make a way for us out of the darkness of death and sin into his wonderful light, into eternal life. And maybe just a little bit of a, a practical point here, but the way that we conduct funerals and burials should be Christian. I'm not suggesting that we obey the particulars of the way Jacob did things. It's not like we have to, we don't have to be embalmed. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if anybody is embalmed anymore. We don't have to embalm anyone. Uh, we, don't have to, uh, we don't have to make a pilgrimage. But how he dies and how his funeral is conducted and how he is buried says something about what he believed in his life. It says something about what we believe as Christians. And what is our hope? Our hope is in resurrection. Our hope is in eternal life. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came bodily for us. Jesus Christ died bodily on the cross. Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave. Jesus Christ ascended bodily into the presence of God Almighty. And so when we die, when we are buried, when when somebody conducts my funeral, you better be talking about resurrection. Because we're going to be raised. We're going to be raised to be in the presence of God Almighty for eternal life. That is where blessing is, and that's how we ought to die. That's how we ought to be buried, is hoping and trusting that Jesus Christ is going to come again, that Jesus Christ is going to raise us from the dead to live with him forever. We see where Jacob's faith is. Next, we ask, where is Joseph's faith? We see the answer to that. Look at verses 15 through 26. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph uh, lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here so joseph died being 110 years old they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in egypt well there's kind of this introduction of this new tension here you know these are these are true stories but i think it's always uh, i think we gain a lot from viewing the the artistry of the way that god inspired it and so here at the end of the book there is this new tension and so so maybe the the thought and the ideas of the the brothers mind is Okay, now Jacob is dead. Now Joseph is going to take his revenge. And so the same way that Jacob had given them commands about how to bury him, now his brothers say, hey, there was this other command. There was this other command that your father made. Joseph, your father made another command to you before he died. And look at the way they say it. They, they pile up these, these synonyms for sins. He talks about transgressions. That's the idea of law breaking. He talks about sin. That is the, the idea of, of defilement. And then he talks about, they talk about this evil that they did to you. So they're, they're piling up. You think about the way that the brothers, the brothers think about their sins now. We transgressed. We sinned. We did evil. And so now we are the servants of God. We are the servants of God, the God of your father, and we will be your servants. And, and so they, they send this to Joseph. They send the message to Joseph. And what does Joseph do? He does what Joseph always does. He cries. And you know, Joseph is such an exemplary figure in the scriptures. The same way that Jesus wept when he saw the, his friends hurting around him. The same way that he wept in the garden. It's always appropriate for us to express our emotions. We're not as expressive as perhaps they were in the Scriptures. Joseph is Joseph a model for us in that. You know, these things are important to him. And so he, he wept over his father's death. He wept over his brothers when his brothers were upset. How, how could we weep before the Lord and, and hope that God would, would not only see our verbal communication, hear our verbal communication, but see our nonverbal communication? The ways that we, the ways that we are are connected to people. Well, he says, he, he cries, and then they come before him and they throw themselves down. And will basically they're saying, we'll be your slaves. We sold you into slavery, we'll be your slaves. And they've they've spent 17 years in, in the land of Egypt. They've been spent 17 years being provided for by Joseph. He's been taking care of them, gave them the best land. And yet, at the end, they still expect vengeance. They still expect retribution. I can't help but think that so many Christians live that same way. We, we know, we know how bad our sins are, and that's not a bad thing. When they know how how wicked they were, how how great their transgressions were, how bad their sins were, how bad their evil was, that's not a bad thing. Paul often remembers what a great sinner he was. He was the chief of sinners. He talks about it. Like we know a whole lot about what Saul was doing before he was a Christian because he's talking about, I was persecuting the church. I was persecuting the church zealously. I was trying to murder people. I was trying to kill people. I was breathing out murderous threats. Toward the church. But he remembers his sins not as a way of anticipating vengeance. Instead, he remembers his sins as a way of exalting the grace of God. That's the way that we should think. It's not bad for us to remember our sins. It's it's good for us. Our sins are actually much worse than we think they are. They are always much worse than we think they are but we ought to seek to know them so that we ought to exalt the grace of God. That They are expecting vengeance. They're expecting retribution. And yet that's not what they get. Joseph forgives them. And you know, that's what we receive from God in Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to be prepared to give to other people. Forgive as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. People often come to church expecting retribution they expect vengeance, they expect condemnation from Christians. I hope that you know that if you're, if you're, if you're just one of our friends here, it's not our place to condemn you. We, we do not enact vengeance. What, is, what does Joseph say? Am I, am I in the place of God? He, he, he thinks, this is the way he thinks, God is the one who enacts vengeance for sin. We know that we ourselves are sinners, and yet our, our vengeance has already been taken. Our sins were avenged at the cross. Jesus Christ took our sins on himself and died in the place of our sins. Anyway, he could die in the place of your sins too. His, his death could be counted as, as an atonement for your sins if you trust in him. And so we ought to be ready to, to always be gracious, always be merciful. We, that doesn't mean that we hold back on, the, on the, the, the just judgment of God against those who are unrepentant. And yet there is this continual graciousness and mercy extended from those who know what it means to be forgiven by God. God, God is not, for, for those who are turning to God, for those who are repenting, for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, there's no vengeance for you. There's no retribution. There's no condemnation. There's only acceptance. And Joseph in verse 21, verse that that many of us know well, he sums up his entire life. He says, what what God, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good, to bring bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, the whole world was about to starve to death. Israel was about to starve to death, but God had made a plan. God had used the evil intent and the evil actions of, his, of, of Joseph's brothers, and he had used that, he had orchestrated that, he had woven that into a tapestry that resulted in the salvation of many. Was there anything more evil than the arrest, the beating, the charging, or the crucifixion? Of Jesus Christ and yet God used that for the good of many think about Isaiah 53 he was he was counted among the transgressors so that many would be saved or even what Jesus said about himself he said the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many God has used the evil. There there are very specific boundaries and restraints on evil in this world. God, God stands over the chaotic sea of evil in this world. And he says, this far and no further. And one day after God has conquered all the evil in his elect people. He will conquer all of the evil outside of his elect people. When the time is right, the way he said to, the, to Abraham, he said, when the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, the time's not yet right. But one, way, one day there will be a conquest of all evil. Right now, evil is restrained. And how infuriating it must be to the evil one to see all of his evil intentions only being used for good for those who love God. And then God will conquer evil. Then there at the end, look at verse 21. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Think about how the book of Genesis begins right after the fall. You have two brothers who were born. They each make sacrifices. One of them has faith and he is accepted. One of them does not have faith. is not accepted. And then one of the brothers goes to talk with his brother in the field. And then he kills him. He murders him. Cain murdered Abel. That's the way that it was in the world. That's the way it is in a fallen world. Cain murders Abel. And you know what? These brothers weren't so different. They were deceivers and murderers. They, They basically... They, they were going to murder their brother, but they decided not to murder him because there was a chance to make some money if they didn't murder him. But look how things are transformed now. These, these brothers couldn't speak peaceably to Joseph. Now Joseph is speaking comfort to them. You know, I, the world is Cain versus Abel. In the church, there is brotherly love. There is there is transform people there are deceivers and malicious murderers right here among us and what God has done is transformed us so that we as imperfectly as we do we are able to love one another from a pure heart we're able to speak peace to one another we're able to love one another love the love of the Holy Spirit the mark of the Christian is love the Spirit produces love and so we love one another and we lay down our lives for one another. And we bear one another's burdens. And we, we encourage one another. And we, we admonish one another. And we, we help one another. That's what God enables. When you see this family here at the end, and you see them transformed, where brother brothers speaking kindness to brother. That's what God intends to happen among us. That we would be able to speak peace and comfort and encouragement to one another. Now, then, there at the end, you see the death of Joseph, and it says that Joseph lived to be one hundred and ten years old. That's the ideal age for an Egyptian in the in the minds of the Egyptians. So the picture here is he's living to this ideal age, and he sees his he sees Ephraim's children of the third generation. So he sees his his. Uh, his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Same thing with Manasseh's sons. He he sees Manasseh's, uh, Manasseh has a son, Makir, He's the most prominent son of Manasseh. And he even adopts uh, some of Manasseh's children as his own. He's, he's very much sort of recapitulating what Jacob had done. Jacob had died in a very faithful way. Now Joseph is dying in a very faithful way. Anything think about way, the way Joseph is, is honored here. It's not, it's not always the case that in a fallen world that the righteous always die with these blessings but it is such a reminder of God's goodness when we see it and you know that the world our world that we live in it honors the new and the young how the bible so often honors the aged and the wise that ought to be the, that ought to be the, the value that we have to, to honor those who have accumulated, sometimes in the school of hard knocks, sometimes often through meditation on God's word, who have accumulated wisdom, how we ought to honor that. Well, we see, we see Jacob honored. We see Joseph honored here. It's a good thing. And then, then Joseph says in verse 24, I am about to die says to his brothers, that could mean his brothers who lived longer than him. More than likely, it has to do with this budding, growing nation of Israel whom he calls his brothers. He says to them, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Where is Joseph's faith? Joseph's faith is where the faith of his fathers was. It's where God's promises are. God will visit you. At the end of Exodus 4, Moses says to the people, they, they recognized that God had visited them. Same word. And then they fell down and they worshiped. Because God, God keeps his promises. God does what he says he's going to do. And what a great ending to the book of Genesis. We've seen God's word of power and creation formed a world. We've seen God's word of promise form a nation. And now we kind of come to the end. And in verse twenty-five, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So they're gonna entomb they're they're gonna put him in a coffin, they're gonna keep all his bones, and they're gonna make sure to bring him back to the promised land because he's 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 waiting there. What a, what a great ending to the book of Genesis to have this, this, this man through whom God saved the world, saved many. Makes you, think of, makes you think of those nations that were formed in like Genesis 10. Makes you think of God's promise to Abraham through you that all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, think about all the things that are being held, held in mind here. Here's this, here's this great old man who's dying. At the same time, doesn't it make you want to see the sequel? Let us put our hope where Jacob and Joseph put their hope. Let us put our faith where Jacob and Joseph put their faith. Let us put our faith where God's promises are. Father, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the magnificent uh, uh, epic ways that uh, you have worked things out in history that we can see that you are a God who keeps his promises. You are a God who is faithful. And and please grant that we would have faith like Jacob and Joseph, that we would have faith that is strengthened by seeing uh, stories of of your faithfulness and uh, ordinary people, ordinary sinners like us, we see their faith. Help us to believe, help us to believe your promises, to believe that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, to believe that Jesus Christ is coming for us again, help us to believe and hold fast that faith, regardless of what the world looks like, regardless of the days that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.